Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Brooks Green welcoming you back to the Ask the Pastor podcast. Today, we are going to address two questions submitted by you and consider what the Bible has to say and what pastoral advice I would have to share with you on these topics. The first question we're going to consider today is, what book of the Bible should new Christians study first? Again, the question, what book of the Bible should new Christians study first? I want to share with you a little bit of a background thought to help you more effective as a new believer in Christ. Our two primary means of communication with our Heavenly Father come through prayer and Bible study. If you listen to any teaching or preaching, those seem to be the spiritual disciplines that get brought up the most. Engage in and be faithful in prayer and in Bible study. What I would encourage you to do is to blend the two together. So in prayer, you're simply talking to God and listening to God. It's a two-way communication. You would not like somebody in your life who only spoke to you but never listened in response, would you? The same thing is true for our Heavenly Father. When we're talking to God, take the time to speak to Him, but also the time to listen. And I encourage you to pray before you engage in any kind of Bible study. Come to God asking Him to open your eyes, reveal to you in your heart how you can understand the Scriptures and His intent and know more. Allow it to shape you. And then open the Word of God and listen to his words as recorded by the men and women that he chose throughout history to document, translate, and continue to record forward his word. I'd also encourage you that when you go to reading the word of God, you emphasize quality over quantity. What I mean by that is, it is more important that you actually learn, grow, and develop through the Bible study than it is that you accomplish some goal. Finishing a book, finishing the entire Bible, is not as important as actually growing and learning along the journey. I would encourage you to read five verses slowly and understand them well, more so than five chapters, so that you can say that you have accomplished more of the scripture reading. So what should you read, which is at the heart of the question? I would recommend two books for new believers and they're going to sound like the same book. For new believers, it's important for you to grow your faith in the most important and critical elements. That's what we would call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, at the beginning of the New Testament, the first four books are what we would call the gospels, as they record the earthly life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Those books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. While all of them are good, I would recommend for the new believer to begin reading in the Gospel of John. Many pastors and scholars would agree that this is a great starting point as it really emphasizes the relationship, the personal relationship one has with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's also a pretty good read. So I'd encourage you, if you want to understand the Gospel message more, start with the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament. Another one I would consider for you to engage in is a shorter book. Whereas the Gospel of John is 21 chapters long, this one is about a quarter of that length. And this is the letter of 1 John. Now, it's the same author, 
but the Gospel of John is recording the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, whereas 1 John is a letter specifically written to new believers. And the purpose in the writing of that letter is to reveal God and to give them advice on how to begin the Christian life. So if you're looking for a quicker read to help you start in your faith walk, I encourage 1 John. If you want to know more about the story of Jesus Christ and the gospel in which you trust and by which you are saved, I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of John. The second question we're going to consider today is, why are divorce rates with Christians high? The second question today is, why are divorce rates with Christians high? This is a relevant issue. Recent statistics show that there are greater than 2.4 million divorces in the United States annually, which means that in the time of this intro, on average, one to two divorces have transpired. So this is a situation that is rampant in our world and society. But to the question of why are divorce rates in Christians high, I would respond, are they? Understand that a divorce is when married individuals decide to dissolve their marriage. So individuals who are not married but decide to break apart, that would not fall into the divorce statistics. I share that to say that in our society we see a largely increasing number and percentage of people who engage in what would be called cohabitation. That's living together, engaging in intimate relationship apart from marriage. And cohabitation is three times more likely in unbelievers than believers. So understand. The percentage of individuals who are unsaved, unbelievers, who actually are married is proportionally smaller to the whole than the percentage of believers who would fall into this same statistical categorization of divorce rates. In other words, there are more non-believers who would not apply to the statistic than there are believers from a percentage perspective. I would also say on the cohabitation front that that is correlated to the importance of faith in someone's life. A statistical research has been conducted in the last couple of years evaluated people who profess to be Christian and their likelihood to cohabitate with other individuals. And they asked people how important their faith life was to them in how often they engage in their local church. There were those who said never, those who said maybe once a month, and those that said two to three times a month. In those young people, so young people being in their late teens, early 20s, all the way up into their 30s, those individuals who say they attend church two to three times a month were 225% less likely to cohabitate than those who say they never attend. So understand, the cohabitation piece does throw the ratio off. It's even true with the younger audience. Those in the 15 to 22 age group, they were asked, what is the likelihood that you would cohabitate? And the statistics there is that those who attended church two to three times a month were three times less likely to cohabitate than those who say they were Christian but never go. 
In other words, there's a correlation between strong religious beliefs and relationships that last. We do know the statistics that those who cohabitate when they do get married, the statistics seem to show that they are at a higher risk for divorce than couples who do not. What research has also shown is that strong religious beliefs, whether Christian or other, contribute to healthier, longer-lasting marriages. Those who have strong religious beliefs in any God are 14% less likely to divorce than those who have no strong belief. Even among the Christian sect, divorce rates among evangelical Christians, which is what we would consider ourselves, are 26%. The Catholic Church, which has a very strong stance on divorce, is at 28%. Those who cite that they have no religious affiliation, 38%. So I would say that when you look at Christian marriages and the divorce rates, even if you're just counting those who claim they're Christian and never attend a church or have no connection to a faith group, we're actually bringing the divorce rates in our country down. Many people would point at clergy, the pastoral staff of the church, and say that's the group right there that has the strongest faith of any. And among clergy, the divorce rate is 5.61%, the third lowest of any profession in the United States. So. I don't hold to the belief that Christians are engaging in high divorce rates when you compare it with the world around us. We're actually lowering the percentage. But I think there's something at the heart of this question I need to address, which is, why do Christians divorce at all? And it's the same reason as unbelievers. Sin. Just because somebody professes faith in Jesus Christ does not absolve them from ever committing future sin. And understand there are a lot of people who have a faith system or are part of a Christian culture who would identify as Christian, but they truly are not what we would define as a Christian. Christian means to be Christ-like. That means to be imitating Him in our thoughts, in our actions, in our daily life, in the things we say, and the things that we do. There are many people in a church but a small percentage of those who are actually what we would define as a Christian, someone who is an imitator of Christ. And therefore, there are people in marriages who would profess to be Christian who truly are still engaging in sin much like they would if they did not claim Jesus Christ. I would also share that sometimes spirituality is a part of the cause for a split. In personal observations, there have been many couples who were in church together serving God, and then as one person continued to pursue God, and the other kind of pulled away, what would we call backsliding. Eventually, they started embracing more things of the world and became less interested in faith, in church, in studying the Bible, and couples grow apart. Sometimes, that stress of even being engaged in working in a church together can put pressures onto marriages and relationships. This is why it's critical that the person that you decide to marry is someone who not only matches you spiritually right now, but is someone who you see as continuing to pursue God and grow spiritually throughout the life of your marriage. Otherwise, you'll find yourself growing apart. And think about it. A person who doesn't believe in Jesus doesn't want to come into a home full of Christian icons and contemporary Christian music playing any more than someone who's a believer in Jesus wants to walk into house and see satanic signs on the walls. We become different. But what I would encourage you is this. Maybe today you're a Christian, 
or a believer or someone who's a part of a Christian culture and you're unsure where you stand. When it comes to marriage, recognize that we are making commitments. And in those commitments, we say that we are going to stay together for better or worse. That means that if you see somebody who you think makes you happier, that's not a cause for breaking your marriage. You don't leave a marriage because someone is more attractive or wealthy or somebody who has less responsibilities. You make a commitment to a person to stay together regardless of the circumstances. If you're not happy with the spouse that you have, let me challenge you. Try to make them into a better spouse. Love them. Communicate with them. Support them. Help them be the kind of person that you believe them capable of being. Even still, sometimes it's not enough. I have personally observed many relationships where one spouse wanted to continue to work things out and the other one was just done and walked away. For those who have watched a breakup, maybe it's your parents, your siblings, maybe it's an aunt, an uncle, a friend, maybe it's even your children, let me share this with you. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. It is not God's will for divorce to occur because he recognizes the pain that it brings and he also knows it doesn't depict how he loves the church unconditionally and doesn't break fellowship with us even when we sin. I'm sorry that you had to experience it. Understand that this was not God's perfect will for the situation. To those who have walked through that experience of a divorce and maybe you find yourself looking back and saying, wow, I was a big part of the problem. Let me encourage you, learn from it, grow from it. Allow yourself in your next relationship to be more effective. And lastly, for anyone who's been through a divorce, sometimes the church has run the tendency of treating people poorly who have had a failed marriage. Allow me on behalf of the church to say this. I'm sorry for the way that you have been treated. You are not a second-class citizen. I love you. Jesus loves you. And continue serving Him.